Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined once again by Colin Haas Hill. We finally got to watch some actual Ohio State football for the first time in what seven months. We got to watch thirty minutes of an Ohio State football practice on Saturday morning, and I think. We'd be lying if we said that we learned any state secrets about the Ohio State football team, but didn't it feel good just to be back in the shoe for a few minutes? I think it's funny because I'm pretty sure on last week's podcast we had talked about how we might not know as much about the team just because we're not going to go see them practice at all so they can say what they want, but until we see it with our two eyes. And then, of course, like days after we talk about that, we actually got to go see something. But you're right. I mean, one, like, there's a couple things that were fascinating. I mean, one, it's just like you're in the shoe, um, which is where they're going to play the game. And it's one, it's weird because it's empty in the practicing in the shoe. But two, it's like that's what it's going to be like for a real game, um, which, like, Dan, just, I guess, just baseline your thoughts. Like, what was the atmosphere like? And just to set the scene a little bit, like, the team's on the field. We were allowed in, like, the, the I think it was the AA section, um, so, like, the, the, the front section um, on, I believe, the west side of the stadium. And, you know, they were, they were blaring music throughout the, the practice, and Ryan Day would tell them, you know, turn it up or turn it down. And um, otherwise, like, that's the only sound in the stadium, otherwise, uh, other than just football. But, but what was your sort of just the vibe of even just being there in an environment that one felt weird, but two is the one we're actually going to see this year. I mean, it felt pretty normal to me. I mean, it, it kind of just felt like watching warmups before a game. Now, do I think it's going to feel normal when the stadium's empty and there's actual football games happening that are being played for score? No. If, if we had gotten to watch the scrimmage, would that part of it maybe felt a little bit weird? Maybe. I didn't really think it was too weird, though, just the, the first part of it, because it kind of just felt like a normal practice availability where we'd get to go and then they'd kick us out before they did anything that we could actually uh, reveal any secrets about the team. About. That was okay. That was my favorite thing. I feel like we can't go into the podcast further without just like mentioning this because this is, this is some inside baseball stuff, but it's still funny. I think people can get a kick out of it and that, you know, Ryan day, Ryan day is pretty good at getting, getting out to the media, what he wants to get out. And that extends to which parts of practice we're able to see because they kicked us out after the third period of practice. So we got about a half hour and as they were about to go into that period, which is when they line up and do full team stuff, they literally, they had coaches looking at the media and and I don't remember exactly which person, which staff member it was, but yelling at Jerry, Jerry Emig, the SID for Ohio state sports information director to, to get the media out because they didn't want us to see anything. So we did get to see stuff, but even, even still, it was it was fairly minimal um, of, of of trying to gather information. So Dan, like, what were the one or two things that you came away, you know, glad to, glad to actually finally see, or you thought were minor revelations? Well, first of all, I think it's important to make sure that people know that the reason they do that is because of troublemakers like Colin, who will walk as slowly as he possibly can. <laughs> like he'll like pretend like he forgot like his bag. So he'll yeah. like, Oh, got to walk back. And like, <laughs> Colin, <laughs> Colin is one of the masters of like doing that. of just like getting out of there as slowly as possible. So when he gets to see the start of that fourth period, you got to see, yeah, you got to see, 
the entire defensive backfield. You got to see who's out there, the first string linebackers. You got to see that offensive line who's out there first. I mean, listen, these things matter that people want to know. But yeah, they, they did not allow us to do that this year. They were, they made sure that we were out before they started doing anything of substance. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say that I have any like major takeaways from Saturday that like my opinions on this team or, any specific player has changed substantially as a result of what we saw on Saturday. But, you know, I, I do think that, you know, just to see, I mean, one of, I think one of the first things that stood out was just to see Master Teague out there, like running as the first team running back, because you think this is a guy who seven months ago hurt his Achilles. And a lot of time that's a year long injury. And he was back in, it's seven months and you know talking to him on Tuesday I mean it sounds like he was ready to go months ago but just to see him out there looking healthy it, it validates what the coaches had already been saying that, that he was going to be ready to go so you know that was one of the first things that stood out uh, we saw we saw Marcus Crowley out there as well although talking to Tony Alford on Tuesday it does sound like he's probably still not going to be ready to go for the start of the year he had what Alford called a quote minor setback in his recovery from his torn ACL so I don't expect that we're going to see him uh, at least through game one. Uh, but, you know, seeing Master Teague out there running with full ones, I, I don't know how that running back battle is going to go. I, I believe, you know, the 50-50 split, like Kevin Wilson said, I, I do think that's what it's going to ultimately be. I don't know who's going to be one or two on the depth chart. But I think just to see him out there just validates the fact that they weren't just blowing smoke about him being ready to play, that that's actually where he is right now. Yeah, and it, and it's dumb to read too far into into things like how they line up for warm ups. But like, listen, if you're all you're going to get is thirty minutes, you got to at least note that. And like, yeah, he was he was running with the ones, um, at least for the period of time that I was watching the quarterbacks and running backs, which is you know that's that's significant to me because, like like both he and Tony Alford said on Tuesday, you know he's pretty much all the way back. And if they were playing tomorrow, Master Teague would be going. So I think that that was definitely a takeaway. One of mine that I will say, um, I feel like I've said this a couple times now, but like when I look at G Scott, like that dude is built. Like, I don't want to say he's built like an NFL wide receiver because he's a freshman in college. And I feel like that would be going overboard and just saying it to say it. Um, but he's, he's not built like a normal freshman. Um, and, and neither is Julian Fleming. I think those two guys, um to me like those two guys are built like normal college wide receivers who can thrive at the big 10 and ohio state level and i know that's a high bar but they came in as as highly rated freshman recruits um and i think just they passed the eye test easily to me um and in a way that you know i expected them to both be physically impressive but i think that they were even more so than i expected um going into that practice and i think that you know they're in an interesting spot with wide receiver that we've talked about a lot. And I think that, I think that the more time has passed, the less worried and, and concerned I am about Ohio state turning to a group of young receivers. Cause like, it is pretty clear to me right now that these guys are not the typical freshmen. I don't know if that's a vibe that, that you either got on Saturday or have been getting lately. Yeah. To me, all four of those guys passed the eye test. Uh, those including Jackson Smith and Jigba and Mookie He's Cooper. Smooth. I mean, I mean, I think back to the first spring practice where, like, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, turned everybody's head. And you, know, you still see that. You see it with Mookie Cooper as well. I mean, I think – I mean, this is where I'm at right now. I am – at this point, I am becoming, like, really confident that three of those guys are going to be in rotation. And I think they might all, – all four of them get playing time. I, I – I, 
I am becoming increasingly confident that I think Jameson Williams is going to start. I think wherever they're moving him to X or Chris Olave to X, this, that's my guess. Brian Hartline doesn't want us to know, but that's my guess. Is it one of those? They're, they're going to start those two and Garrett Wilson. And I, I think that second line of a rotation could be a trio of freshmen. I really do. Because, I mean, Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner weren't even out there on Saturday. Neither was Demario McCall. Cameron Babb was out there, but he, he didn't look like he was going through drills. So my feeling is if those guys were going to hold these freshmen off with as good as they look and as good as everybody's talking about them, those guys really do have to go out. Those guys really did have to go out there and have a good preseason. And, and if, if, you know, again, I, I can't say they're not having a good preseason because I watched 30 minutes of practice. So that's not what I'm trying to say, but you just get the vibe that these freshmen are all on a really good trajectory right now. And I think for those other guys that maybe needed to hold them off, you're just not getting that buzz. You're just not really feeling that buzz with those guys. At least I'm not right now to make me think that those guys not named Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, or Jamison Williams are going to be playing over those really talented freshmen. Yeah, the, to me, this this entire offense, a lot of this is just like I, I feel like I feel like this offense is going to be unleashed in a pretty big way and a pretty impressive way. I don't know. I I feel like I don't know if it's just the thirty minutes of practice. I don't know if it's the interviews. I'm riding a little bit high on what this offense can do this year. I don't I, and and I don't know. Like I think this offense can be the best in the country, um, and obviously it can be. But I think it's trending toward it is going to be really really good because. I mean, you have a healthy Justin Fields who it seems like, by all indications, is a better leader who, who spent a lot of time with, uh, with, with Ryan Day individually in the offseason. You have two healthy running backs that you can rely on. You have a wide receiver core where, with one Chris Olave back, two Garrett Wilson in the slot, and these freshmen who I think that both of us are really impressed by thus far. And then you look at the tight end, and it's like we don't even really need to talk about the tight ends because we sort of know what they're going to provide. And what that is, is Luke Farrell being super consistent as a blocker and catcher and Jeremy Ruckert adding what he does as, as, a, as a receiver. And then um, we look at the offensive line and Dan, it's like, we, we looked at that. We, we looked down the field at them. I think we probably both did. And you sort of saw what you expected, which is Thayer Munford at left tackle, Harry Miller, left guard, uh, Josh Myers center, Wyatt Davis, right guard. And then Nick Petit Frere at right tackle. And like, like I've said all along, like I think that can be the best offensive line in the country, and it sort of just like it's coming. I like I'm I'm seeing it. I'm seeing this this team sort of you know being exactly what Ryan Day would want it to be offensively as we near the season. And I'll be honest, like I think my excitement to see this offense is is about at an all time high, which is good that we're only two and a half weeks away and we actually get to see this thing unfold. I mean, they're absolutely loaded. I mean, the offense they're loaded. loaded. They are they're loaded, loaded it's at every. So clear position on offense if they can stay healthy and that includes injuries and COVID if they can stay healthy I mean this offense has the potential to be one of the best we've ever seen at Ohio State it it really does it's not hyperbole it's not hyperbole that that's the kind of talent that they've accumulated on this offense so I'm right there with you I'm really excited to see it in the department of things we shouldn't read into but we're gonna anyway because this is what we have to do when we only get to see 30 minutes of practice. C.J. Stroud was the second quarterback in the line. You think C.J. Stroud's going to be the number two quarterback on the depth chart? 
Well, I think that's two different questions. This is going to be the number two quarterback and the number two quarterback in the depth chart. Because okay. recent history with Ryan Day tells me that they're either going to have an uh, uh, well, yeah, I think worse. on the official depth chart, it <laughs> yes. will be C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller or Gunnar Hoke. But yes, I'm, talking, is, of, I'm yes. talking about which quarterback will be the first one that comes in the game after Justin Fields. I think I, – I honestly do think that they're going to try and get C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller equal playing time. But, yeah, I mean, I think all indications, both on how they finish their high school careers – the recruiting ranking, however you want to look into that, the fact that Ryan Day and Corey Dennis pursued um, C.J. Stroud down the stretch, knowing that, you know, maybe that could end up with Jack Miller heading elsewhere if, if he felt slighted. And the fact that, yeah, I mean, we still see C.J. Stroud ahead of, of Jack Miller in the, in the, you know, in the quarterback drills. I think that I, I don't think you can just single-handedly look at that and be like, oh, well, CJ Stroud's definitely number two. But I think it's just another piece of the information that sort of leads me to think, yeah, like if something terrible were to happen to Justin Fields, I do think it would probably be CJ Stroud. Are you in the same boat? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm very fair with you. I mean, genuinely, I think it's too early to say who the number yes, two quarterback yes, because, yes. because I think that is definitely something that over the next couple of weeks is still going to be evaluated heavily between those two because they're just too young in their careers and even over the course of a season I, I agree with you uh you know it's a different conversation now that we're not talking about red shirts but I agree with you that you should try to get those guys equal playing time you should try to play them both as much as you can because next next year they're going to be compete for starting jobs so I, I do think you will try but you you also do have to know who's our next guy up if just something happens to Justin Fields my guess right now is that would be CJ Stroud, but I don't think that's set in stone by any means. I do. I think the, the bigger thing I take away, and this isn't just from watching practice, but just from hearing what Ryan day has said is I do believe both those guys are going to see playing time before Gunnar Hoke does. And I think they should, because mm-hmm. the reality is Gunnar Hoke is not your future starting quarterback at Ohio state. Even if he decides to return for a sixth year, he's not going to be a future starting quarterback at Ohio state. So you, you need to get those two young guys for reps. And I think even for this year, if they have a good grasp of the offense, if anything happens to Justin Fields, I don't think Gunnar Hope can run the offense the way Justin Fields can. I'm not saying C.J. Stroud can. But I don't think there's many quarterbacks who can do what Justin Fields can do right now. But I think he at least offers that upside, that physical ability, that if he can progress, you'd feel better about him because of the talent that he has and even the same with Jack Miller, than you would have last year with Chris Chuganov or Gunnar Hoke. Yeah, I think it's interesting actually getting to see C.J. Stroud with, with you know your own two eyes up close for actually the first time on campus. Because um, I'll be honest, I didn't really watch him back when we had an open practice in the spring. Um, but I watched him a little bit on Saturday. And, like, I think there are two things that stand out. Like, one, he's, like, he's pretty small. He's, he's not, he's not a huge Justin Fields kind of quarterback where like Justin Fields, if he played running back, like he wouldn't really have to change his body. Like he's sort of built like a running back already. I think CJ Stroud probably needs to put on some weight, put on some muscle. Um, and I don't really, I don't really think physically he's where he'll need to be at this point next season. Um, but the other thing I would say, like, I mean, he throws a really nice ball. Like that's, that, that's pretty evident to me. Um, I, he's, he's, he's almost like, I liked watching him and Jetson Smith and Jigba 
throw the ball to it or not throw the ball to each other. I like when CJ threw the ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba because they both have this smooth nature to them. Like CJ is just really smooth when he throws the ball. Um, and Jackson is, is – I mean, what he does, everything everything about him is pretty smooth. So, I mean, just first glance, like, yeah, he passes he passes the eye test when he, when he throws the ball, uh, the eye test when he throws the ball. But I will I – think, I think in due time he's going to need to put on some, some significant weight and, and muscle. I think the one other thing that I, I took away, and this, again, you know, we're overreacting to 30 minutes of practice here, but it, it did – reinforce for me to where I'm at the point where I think defensive tackle might be the the weakest position on the depth chart right now, because we saw, we did not see Teron Vincent out there on Saturday and uh, an Ohio state spokesperson said that he was at practice later in the day. So we don't know what the deal is there, but the fact that he wasn't on the field for drills tells me he's probably dealing with something. Um, He he missed all last season of shoulder injury. So that's not a great sign if he's not a full participant in practice right now. We don't know – again, I, I'm trying not to even guess on what Haskell Garrett's status is going to be because I don't know how um, – I don't know how to process how someone would recover from getting shot yeah, in the it's face. A, it sounds inconceivable, yeah. but he's also he's – He's out there practicing. That's a great sign, and maybe he'll be out there for the season opener. I'm not banking on it because I just don't – I just don't know. So, to me, you start to look at that defensive tackle up there and you go, hey, there's just not a ton of guys there. I mean, I, I think Tommy Togiai is, is going to be a really good player. But I think right now, I mean, I, I think if Haskell and Tehran are not full go for the start of the season, and I think Antoine Jackson, who I would have thought would probably be your number two nose, he probably becomes your starter at free tech. And then you've got Jerron Cage, who's another veteran who hasn't played a lot, but he, he's at least a veteran. And then after that, you you don't have anybody who's actually played much yeah. at Ohio State. I mean, you have Jaden McKenzie, who's a redshirt freshman, and he'll be looking to get some playing time. Ty Hamilton's a guy that they've been talking up that I think maybe could contribute some this year. But y- you just really don't have a lot of experience at that position. Yeah, I think if you just – I pulled up the snap counts from last year, which sort of tell the story. Because if you look at defensive tackles, most snap counts – you have Jay Sean Cornell at 399, Devon Hamilton 352, Robert Landers 353. All three of those guys are gone. And then you have Tommy Togiai at down at 250, and then Haskell Garrett at 218, who again shot in the face. Don't really know what his status is going to be. And then you have Antoine Jadson at 201, and then nobody else played more than 88 snaps, which is Drawn Cage. And then beyond him, it's walk-ons and then Jaden McKenzie, who had you know, 11 defensive snaps. Um, I think that that's a legitimate position of concern. And it's really because, like, I think that you I, – I'll, one, I'll be, I, I'll be fascinated to see how Tommy Togiai does in a position where he's not going to be rotating that much. Um, I'm sure that he'll be rotating some, but he's not going to be rotating the way that Larry Johnson likes it. Does he is, – is he as impactful as someone like Devon Hamilton was, but on a more regular basis just because he's out there more often? or like, do we see as games go on, as the year goes on, that, you know, it's really impacting uh, Ohio State and, and, and Togai up front? Like, I think that those are legitimate questions to ask. Um, and, and one, like, if you want to take the optimistic approach, you can say, like, I think that the depth is a problem. But at the same time, um, if you look at the kind, if you look at the talent at the top, 
like you feel pretty good about I mean one you feel really good about Tommy Togiai and you feel pretty good about Antoine Jackson like I don't think Antoine Jackson's a star by any means but I think that you know I think he was solid last year in 201 snaps um the issue really is depth and and they can't rotate like they did last year and you never want to speculate on um like COVID issues but you know if someone has to sit out three weeks like they would be in a real problem at defensive tackle. And that's where you wonder, like, would they move Tyler Friday inside? What would, what would sort of happen? I think there are a lot of ways to play it. But it's, it, is, it was pretty evident, Dan, like when we were watching practice, that that's a position they are not super deep at. We will talk more about the defensive line next week because actually shortly after his podcast publishes, we're supposed to talk to Larry Johnson and some defensive linemen Truth. on Wednesday. So we will talk more about them next week after we – get Larry's side of the story, but I do want to talk some about the linebackers because we talked to Al Washington and a few of the linebackers last week. And I think uh, certainly the big takeaway from that is that Pete Werner's move to will, that seems to be a full go full speed ahead thing. Now that Pete Werner after playing Sam linebacker, and I know we both agree. We thought Pete Werner played fantastic at Sam linebacker last year, despite some Ohio state fans who are still convinced that he's a liability. Uh, that's not true. Uh, he was, I thought he was one of the best players on the defense last year. I thought he was great at Sam linebacker, but now they've made this decision to move him to will. What, what are your kind of initial thoughts Colin on, you know, that move and how it could affect this defense? Yeah. I think there are two interesting parts. Like one is like, what does it do for Ohio state's will linebacker spot? Because it's not as simple as like, I think, it's not as simple as just someone moving from one outside linebacker to another outside linebacker. I mean, the way to think of it is Pete Werner was the outside linebacker in this defense and he moved to be the inside linebacker because in an Al Washington, Greg Madison defense, there's two inside linebackers, one outside linebacker. So it's a significant transition, I think. And you know, I could be wrong, but I feel pretty confident that Pete Werner is going to be really good um, at will. I think he's, you know, he talked about being more of a playmaker, at that position. And I think that that's possible, but honestly, I just think he's just going to be solid. I think you're not going to have to worry about like, is Pete Werner out of position? Is he getting blown up here? I feel pretty confident that on the interior, Pete Werner is going to be good there. My real question. And, and, you know, I, I would call it a concern because until we actually see how they, how this defense works um, on October 24th, I'm just, I'm, I'm so curious to see this. What happens at Sam? Like, are they just going to go to Baron Browning and Justin Hilliard and sort of play like they did last year? Are they going to put a second safety on the field to sort of do what some of Pete Warner did last season? What do you, what do you think they're going to do there? Because in, in all honesty, like Dan, I think that that's the more interesting part of this because I understand why they would move Pete Warner inside. I think the other part of that is when you move Pete Warner away from Sam, what, what do you think that's going to lead them to do it, Sam? Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I, I don't really have any concerns about Pete moving to Will. I think he's going to do well there. Um, but I think that Sam position is interesting because I think my feeling is I just don't think Barron or Justin can play that position the way Pete Warner did last year. Now, to be fair, to preface that, if you would have told me before of a season a year ago that Pete Warner would be lining up at deep safety on some plays, I would have thought that yeah. would be a disaster. So I could be proven wrong, but from what we've seen of those two players, I just don't see them as guys who are going to be dropping back into coverage and playing safety. So my feeling is, you know, last year, Pete Warner was pretty much an every down player. I think he still will be at will. I don't 
think any of those Sams are going to be though. I, I actually think I actually think Baron and Justin are both going to play a good amount. I don't know exactly how they're going to work that, who's going to start, but I, I, my feeling is they're both going to have a role. Uh, I don't know exactly what the role is going to look like, but I do think they're both going to have a role. But I also think there's going to be more two safety packages. It, it could even be the quote-unquote bullet, which is a term that nobody's really using anymore, and that's probably for the better. But, you know, that, that idea that we thought we were going to see last year with more of a, like, Pete Warner, Brendan White rotation that never came to fruition there, I think there's a chance we might actually see more of that this year. Because Ryan Day said on Friday he, he, that he expected that Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker would be on the field together a decent amount. And I don't know who's going to start at safety, but I do think that the two safety look is going to be a real thing for Ohio state this year. And I think that might be, there's two ways that can go. I, I also think that there's, I also don't necessarily think that the slot corner is going to be on the field all the time this year, like it was last year. Cause I think part of a reason for that was because Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett and Sean Wade were all future NFL first round picks, but you did not want to take off the field. So I think you might have some more two cornerback, two safety, four free kind of looks. But I also think you could have some more two linebacker, two safety kind of looks where you're taking that Sam linebacker off the field, you know, or, you know, I shouldn't even necessarily say you're taking a Sam off. It might be you're taking tough Borland off and you're playing Pete Warner and Baron Browning with, with two safeties. That could definitely be a look, but I think you could see. But I, I do think there's going to be a two safety look. You know, We've all the talk about, you know, Proctor, you know, kind of being that playmaker on the deep end. My feeling is Proctor would actually be in a two safety look, whether he starts or not. I'm not sure. My feeling is in that two safety look is Proctor would actually be that guy who would be more of the quote unquote bullet or a guy who's playing closer to the line of scrimmage with Marcus Hooker playing on the deep end. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with that part of it. Um, and I think that was mentioned the other day. Um, I think, you know, I think this whole, this all just goes back to a theme that both Kerry Combs and Al Washington hit on, which is that they want to match personnel maybe more than they did last year. Um, they want the ability to play different personnel packages. They want the ability to, you know, if, I mean, if they're going to put out, um, a certain look, Ohio State's defense wants to be able to configure its defense so that it doesn't feel like, you know, it has to face a certain look out of its own base defense. I think you're going to see a lot more different packages. Um, and that's where, that's where I think the uncertainty comes from on our part is like, which kind of packages, how often are these packages going to be played? Um, and that's the part that I think is impossible to know right now. I agree with your point that I don't think we're going to see the slot corner all the time. I think we're definitely going to see it a lot of the time. Um, but that goes back to like, they're probably, if they don't have to have the slot corner out, they don't, they don't really need to have the slot corner out. Like it, Marcus Williamson is not a guy who you look at and you're like, well, we have to get Marcus Williamson on the field. I think Marcus Williamson's a guy who you think like he, he could be good in his own role, um, but they're not going to force it. Um, and in not forcing it, I think that allows you to, you know, play a Baron Browning at Sam and have him rush, play him at Sam and have him, you know, fly around the field in a way that maybe he, he didn't the other uh, in, in past years. It allows you to look at two safeties and, and you know, you bring Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker onto the field at the same time. I think there's a ton of ways that they can configure this defense. And the tough thing is right now to figure out how they do it. But I think that, honestly, I think that that's one of the main themes that I've 
you know, at least gleaned on gleaned so far, which is we're going to see a lot of different looks that maybe we didn't last year. And and it's funny, like you remember the Fiesta Bowl, like when they put two safeties out there and Josh Proctor was the second safety, like they had never really done that like at all. I think they're, I think we're going to see a ton of different looks throughout the season. And and I could be wrong, but like, that's sort of the vibe I'm getting. Well, I think some of that, I think, I, I think, you know, some of it might be Combs coming in and bringing some of his own ideas, but I think it really might more be the fact that they just don't have as many defensive players this year that are guys you can't take off the field. Like yeah. I think back they to might last not know who's they might not know who's like really good. Also, like you might not know who your this. who your best eleven is because like I think yeah. last year like you had seven guys really that were guys who didn't come off the field. That being Chase Young up front, Malik Hooker, Pete Warner at linebacker, and then before DBs, Okuda Arnett, and Devon Hamilton. Fuller. Yeah, I mean, you just had a lot of guys who just really didn't come off the field. This year, you got, what, two? I mean, you've got Pete Werner and Sean Wade. Like, is there anybody else who's in that category of maybe Tommy Tokia because they don't have the depth that it knows. But, like, there's just not as many guys who are in that category of they're not going to come off the field. So I think that forces you to be more creative defensively. And that might – ultimately, that might be a net positive because – maybe when you get to that game in the college ball playoff against Clemson, maybe you're more prepared to play different matchups. If, if, if you're, if you're doing this kind of stuff over the course of a season, you're going to be more prepared to do it when you actually need it down the line. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in that regard. Yeah. You know, what's funny is like, this sort of reminds me of the running back conversation. It's like, would you rather have one good running back, one awesome running back that you play all the time or two good running backs that you rotate? And it's sort of like this where it's like, would you rather have seven awesome guys who you don't take off the field or two awesome guys and then you change your defense around all the time and, and have a bunch of personnel packages? Like, like, I think that the versatility is good, but I also think it's required. Sort of like you said, like, this isn't really an option. Like, they can't just go into the season saying, all right, we're going to line up the same base defense as we normally do and roll them out there and, you know, hope for the best. I think that this is sort of what they have to do. I really don't think that they have any options. And this sort of goes back to um, – well, and it's funny. They don't have any options in that they're going to give themselves a ton of options because that's the best option out there. I don't think that made any sense, Dan, but uh, it, I, I tried to make it make sense in my mind. But also, I think that, like, I think I'd normally lean toward, like, I just want the one stud. But, like, if there's any year of it, like, you probably want to just have more good players, it's this one. because <laughs> It's true. That is you true. might lose guys for three weeks at a time if they test positive for COVID. Yeah. I will still take the team with the more with more of the stars. I mean, I'm taking again. Am I taking? <laughs> am I taking Justin Fields or like two just good quarterbacks? I'm taking Justin Fields. Am I taking Sean Wade or just two just good cornerbacks? I'm taking Sean Wade. Yeah, yeah. Am and, I taking you know, Chase Young or the five good defensive ends they have now? I'm taking Chase Young. Yeah, and here's the thing: like the the main positive about this is like I don't feel like they're going into this season with the wrong idea. Like, I think that they sort of know that, hey, we're going to have to get a little creative. We're, we're going to have to do all this because the, it's not like they're going to roll out the 85 Bears or the 19 Buckeyes. Like, this is, this, is a, this is a different defense. And I think there's a lot of talent on this defense, but a lot of it's just we, we haven't seen before. We haven't seen them, you know, play the way that we saw a lot of the guys on last year's defense. I know this. I, I, I feel better – going into a season where the coaches are saying, yeah, we're going to be flexible when you know that the talent might be a little bit down than 
back in 2018 when the coaches said, well, we have our scheme and we like it and we coached in the NFL. So we know what's right. And if our guys can't figure it out, that's on them, which is in my opinion, what happened two years ago. And I, I think these coaches recognize that that's not the way to go about it. Yeah, no, I think that that's fair. And, um, and it's a good point because I, I don't know. I, I, I think that a lot of this defense, I have serious concerns in the same way that I look at this offense and I have like, I'm just fawning over. Um, but I think that the approach is right on defense. And I think that that has to matter. Um, the tough thing is like, we're just going to speculate for the next two and a half weeks because until we see a lot of these dudes on the field, it's like, like, how do I evaluate what Marcus Williamson is a slot corner? <laughs> like, I can't. How do I evaluate Baron Bra- the Baron Browning, Justin Hilliard platoon at Sam? Like, you can't really do that that much. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm just fascinated by this team, what it's going to be like when, when they actually hit the field. And, and I'm glad that we don't have to sit around and watch them, like, beat up on five teams to begin the year. Uh, we get to see them against Nebraska, which, like, Nebraska's Nebraska. I think that they're going to – I think that they should clobber Nebraska, but at least Nebraska is a competent team. And then you get Penn State in week two. So we're going to learn a lot quickly. And I think that that's the fun part of this season. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm really glad that like two weeks from now on this podcast, we're going to be talking about an actual game coming up that week. Because I just feel like we just we just keep finding new ways to have these same conversations over and over that's, again. That is, that, is the, that, is the, that is the genius of covering a team is you just talk about the same things for nine months of the year and then wait for actual football to happen. <laughs> I just feel like I got to ask you real quickly, uh, what were your takeaways from talking to Baron Browning and are they going to unleash him as a pass rusher this year? Since I know that's your, your favorite topic. That is my favorite topic. And it's, you know, it's so funny. I think within six months, I might've asked Baron Browning the same question and got the same answer about, you know, do you think you're going to get more pass rushing opportunities this year? And I'm pretty sure, I don't know if I was the one who asked him in the spring or someone else did, Pretty sure he was asked both times and was basically like, you're going to have to wait and see. Which goes back to the entirety of our discussion on the defense, which is this is, a, this is just a wait and see defense. I don't really know. Um, I think that they should. You know I think that they should. I think it would be a total misuse of resources if all you do is, you know, have him go out there cover like Pete Werner did last year. <laughs> I don't think they're going to do that. Um, I think they are going to play him to his strengths and please, for love of God, send him off the edge. All right, I think we should spend the next 20 minutes of this show talking about every detail of Justin Fields' vegan diet. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I've, I've, I, uh, he did break down the details of his vegan diet last week, but I've been told that people are sick of hearing about it. So uh, I did write about it last week. If you want to read more about Justin Fields' vegan diet, find the story on Love Warriors. But I've been told, I've told that we've been talking about it and writing about it too much. So uh, we'll yeah. move on. Um, I did think it was interesting what Ryan Day said about some of the coaches are currently not even going home to their families right now because of COVID-19. And he actually said in a radio appearance on Monday that they're hoping to arrange at-home testing for families so that, you know, that coaches can go home and see their wife and kids. But I, I think that does speak to, you know, what, what these coaches, what everyone involved in these programs has to do for this season to be able to happen because they, they recognize the volatile nature of playing a season during a pandemic. And they do, they, they, they have to make sacrifices. They have to be really smart. There, there's things that they would normally do 
with their families during a season that they, they just might not be able to do until this season is over because they, they just have to be careful and, and they don't want to risk the chances that they could catch COVID and either have to miss time or spread it to the players. Yeah, it's um, – I think um, I think that was one of my main takeaways too from when you hear Ryan Day talk about that. It's – you know, it's – you hear rightly so about all the sacrifices that the players are making and um, and all the tests that they have to do. And, like, at the end of the day, like, these are unpaid athletes who are getting scholarships, and, and that's it, even though you can make a pretty easy argument that they could be getting a lot more for what they do um, and what they bring in for – Ohio State University but yeah from a coach's perspective like a lot of those guys aren't particularly young um so it's interesting to hear that and it's you know it's really unfortunate that that's where we are right now um I mean I think back like I was I was just thinking the other day like in March when this whole thing sort of started um to hit to hit sports in the United States like I it's still sort of mind boggling to me that it's October 6th as we record this and coronavirus is still having such a gigantic impact on this. And and obviously it's not going to stop having an impact on this anytime soon. Um, But yeah, the ways of lives of of everybody is, is, you know, altered and and in a significant way for, for coaches who we haven't heard. I've, I've, you know, I've requested, comment from the big 10 a couple of times of clarification of, you know, what would happen if a coach were to test positive, like would he be out 21 games as well or 14 or is there any policy still haven't heard back on that, but you know, it's, it's pretty clear how, how much this has affected families um, around the Ohio state program as well. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, you know, the silver lining is I do think they got a lot more time with their families during the spring and summer than they normally would. So, you know, at least they got that, but yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody's got to make sacrifices and, you know, I mean, that is part of a job when you do mention, you know, they're not the unpaid athletes here. A lot of them are, you know, making a lot of money. Um, You know, now granted it, it should also be noted that we're talking about, you know, coaches and staffers who are part of this thing. It's not just the, the, 10 assistant coaches and Ryan day who are making big monies. There are, you know, quality control assistants, grad assistants who are involved in that too. So mm-hmm. some of those guys, they don't, they don't get paid a lot of money and they have to make these sacrifices too. So they should not be forgotten in this equation, but you know, that's just part of his deal. That's just part of his deal is, you know, people have to make sacrifices and they have to be careful. And, you know, I think as much onus as there is on the players to be responsible there's even more on the coaches because you're the, you know, you're the true grown adults in this room and, and you have to set the example for the players. So, you know, I, I, I'd imagine, you know, if you're Ryan day, you are making it very clear to your staff that, you know, if we find out that you're doing anything to endanger our chances of getting through this season, uh, there's going to be major consequences because, you you just have to be you have to be bought into this you have to be bought into making these sacrifices under these circumstances yeah none of this is revelatory i just think that the detail of coaches not sleeping at homes which hadn't previously been reported or out there i think that that was fascinating and sort of an interesting lens into what they're dealing with right now knowing that you know if something were to happen where covid-19 were to spread throughout the football program 
know, things could, things could happen to, uh, to this season. Going back to the running backs for briefly, because we did talk to them on Tuesday. We talked a little bit about you know, Master Teague and certainly sounds like he's healthy at this point. Trey Sermon, talked to him for the first time. I don't know if there was anything really major revelatory from that, just that, you know, he's uh, certainly excited to be a Buckeye and feeling good. And, you know, I think I think there's a lot to like about this running back tandem. I really do. I don't know who's going to start between them, but I, I really do think, you know, that running back tandem has a chance to be really good. And like we talked about before, you put them with all those other guys around him on offense. I think uh, the potential is really high. And, you know, at least what we're hearing, you're hearing encouraging things about the depth too. Cause it sound, it sounded like from, from hearing Tony Alford today, it sounded like there's some genuine enthusiasm there about steel chambers. And it seems like he might be the guy who is starting to lock himself into that, you know, third running back spot. But then, I mean, they're also talking up Xavier Johnson, who's a walk on and you, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, predict that Xavier Johnson is about to see a lot of playing time or anything, but they're talking about him in a way that they typically don't talk about walk-ons and Tony Alford's not a, he's not usually the type of guy that just throws out praise to players for no reason. So that tells me that like, that's real, that like, here's a guy, even though he's a walk-on that they think if they need him to play that, you know, he, he could be capable. I think none of the Xavier Johnson conversation matters this year because I just don't think he's going to play any meaningful snaps. It might matter down the line. I mean, like he's the guy who I think people might, if you don't know who Xavier Johnson is, there was a guy a couple of years ago that came in the program and had D1 offers, including one from Cincinnati and chose to walk on at Ohio State instead. He's that guy. Um, so he's been a guy who I think that we've had on our radar a little bit because like he wasn't that far off from getting recruited to, to actually, you know, play for Ohio state with the scholarship. Um, and, and the fact that you hear his name come up in the way that it has from Ryan day, I know Trey Sermon brought it up unprovoked. Um, I think that that tells you something about what he's, what, what he's doing. I'm, I'm not going to be the guy who sits here and says that they're going to play Xavier Johnson. I I'm not, but I will say like, I don't know in recent years, other than CJ Saunders, if I've heard a walk-on's name come up in the way that Xavier Johnson's does. Another topic that I think people get sick of hearing about and think we talk about too much, but I think it's worth bringing up briefly that there was not one mention of Demario McCall today. I'm not one. And maybe that's because he's a receiver now, but Ryan Day has been talking about him as a hybrid guy. And if he's not even coming up once in the running back conversation, that seems like an ominous sign. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to sit. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll say it. Like I don't think Demario's going to have a role on this team. Um, and you know, I've been sort of holding out hope that you know maybe he might put it together at some point. Um, I just don't. I just don't see it happening. Um, I mean, if you're not going to come up in the running back discussion, then your last resort, if you're Demario, is to come up in the slot receiver conversation. And that means you're competing with Garrett Wilson and Jetson Smith and Jigba and Mookie Cooper. And that's not a particularly great place to be. Um, so, yeah, I don't think – I think, you know, this might be the last time we even talk about him for a while. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I think he's a guy that 
you know, he's got some talent and there was a lot of hype about him, but for whatever reason, it just, it just hasn't come together. It just hasn't come together. And I, I think there was actually a question that included him. So we'll get to that in a few minutes when we get to our questions. But yeah, I, I think the fact that his name just doesn't, I mean, this is like the third or fourth year in a row we've been having this conversation about what's his role going to be and what's his position. And, and if he's still at that point as a fifth year senior, you've just got to start to think it, it's probably just not going to happen. Or you got to continue to think. Um, because I think that's probably what a lot of people have done. I don't think it's a new thought that it's not going to happen for Demario. Well, yeah, um, but yeah, I think I think the I think the Demario hype train. Unfortunately, I don't know who. I think DJ Burns is still riding it, but he might be the only one. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of people left on that train at this point. Unfortunately, a lot of hype around yeah. the offense, though. Yes, including from me. And I'm not really I'm not necessarily the hype man, but I will I will hype this offense up. All right, what else do you want to hype up, Colin? We'll let you lead off three things we think this week. So I didn't really have a chance to actually write down three things we think, and then I saw in the Google Doc that we have to prepare for this that you said, parentheses, might be a good opportunity to hit on some basketball stuff from last week if you want to, Colin. And, Dan, I'll just be honest. I'm just going to do three basketball things. Go for it. Because we never talk about basketball. Um, and, you know, we're, I don't want to give too much basketball because I think that everybody will – not everybody – Good, you know. And I also think that once the season starts in two weeks, we're not going to be talking about basketball either. So I think this is a, I think yes. this is a good opportunity to get a few get a few takes out there. All right, my first take: the schedule is going to be really good, like really, really good, um, and it's going to be finalized here soon enough. <clears throat> the the one thing I'll say is the reason it's not finalized yet is because they're trying to figure out if the Big Ten is going to play either twenty or twenty two games. Um, and until they know that, they can't really finalize the schedule. Um, and to be clear, they're going to play a maximum of 27 games. So if you're playing either 20 or 22 of 27 Big Ten games, the schedule's already going to be pretty ridiculous. And then when you look at you know what else they have, um, they're going to play against North Carolina in the CBS Sports Classic. <clears throat> they're going to play um, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And potentially, and I think that this is where you look at if they play – 20 games they'll also play in, in what was formerly named the, the battle for Atlantis um, which is an eight-team event that uh, was going to be held in the Bahamas and instead now will be held in South Dakota um, so if you put those together that just leaves two more games to fill out the schedule and that is that would be 25 games against high major opponents and not knowing what the other two games would be that's a pretty ridiculous schedule um, which one would be interesting to watch and two I'm not sure I would want to be a coach coaching an entire game entire season against high major opponents yeah that seems pretty daunting uh that seems pretty daunting but I guess that's 2020 right it is like if that's the worst thing that can happen I mean who cares because you're playing basketball but at the same time um it's it, it will it will absolutely be a, be a challenge for these guys let's just have you roll through your freeze so that we get to bat we do the basketball because I'm not I'm minor all gonna be about football. No 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 Dan I want to intersperse this because I think okay. that nobody cares about <laughs> basketball enough to hear three basketball things in a okay. row. Okay. I care about it enough yeah. but but I know our audience and our audience is football. All right. Well I'll start with number one, which is again, this is the department of reading too much into stuff that probably doesn't matter, but it's October and we're still waiting for a football season, so we read into everything. 
is I think I'm surprised that Paris Johnson hasn't lost his black stripe yet because of all the talk, all the hype surrounding him. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is any reason to sell your stock in Paris Johnson, but don't worry. I'm not, I was a little, I was a little surprised that Josh Fryer who came in in the summer lost his black stripe before Paris Johnson and that Paris Johnson hasn't lost his black stripe yet. And I guess if I'm going to read anything into that, it tells me that, Nicholas petit Ferrer is going to be starting right tackle because I, I think if Paris Johnson was going to beat him out for the right tackle job, as has been talked about, I think he would have lost his black stripe by now. And again, I don't, I don't think it's really worth reading into it much more than that because I think Paris Johnson has a very bright future in front of him. But I will say that if we had been predicting like who was going to be the first to lose it, I would have put him in probably the top three. Yeah, so would I. Um, this is, I mean, I think that, I think the Blatt Stripe thing is interesting because we actually don't get to see practice and this sort of gives us a lens into what's going on. I, w- I think that I don't really concern myself with who's late to lose it. I think I more so look at who's early to lose it. And someone like a Ty Hamilton makes me, you know, raise my eyebrows. And Anna Josh Fryer makes me yeah. raise my eyebrows. Um, so, yeah, I get where that concern I don't even want to call it concern because it's not concerned. I know it's not concerned. It's an observation. It's not yeah, a concern. That, I, I understand that observation, but to me, it, it's not a concern. Um, it doesn't register. I mean, understand, this is coming after people, after Jackson Smith and Jigba was the first to lose his black stripe. Everyone in my Twitter mentions was, what about Julian Fleming? So I felt like I had to bring that up because nope, I haven't really seen any of that with Paris. And mm-hmm. So I, I just felt like it was worth bringing up. No, I think that I – listen – I think it's fair because, like you said, it's October. There's no football. We're going to speculate on dumb things. Right. So my next thing, um, it's unfortunate, but I guess ultimately not unexpected that Seth Towns isn't going to be ready when the season starts. Um, Chris Holtman revealed that on, on Friday. And, you know, he did it in almost such a nonchalant way that it wasn't a surprise because, I mean – Seth Towns has been injured for, what, two and a half years now. Um, He hasn't played basketball since March of 2018 in an actual game. Um, And I know he had told me earlier this summer that that he intends to to be ready to start the season um, and and fully healthy. But at this point, Chris Holman made it pretty clear um, they're not expecting him to be ready to start the season. Um, And I think that's unfortunate. At the same time, it's not too unexpected just because like when was the last time he played? Like it's been so, so, so long um, that him needing an extra few weeks, an extra month. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be overly concerned about that um, because really ultimately it's just like whenever he comes back, he comes back. I think you took the risk when, when you, when you added him to the roster um, that he might need a little bit longer. What matters is that, you know, when he comes back, he gets back to to being the Seth Towns he was as a sophomore at Harvard. I think that that's, that's more important than the timeline of, of when he actually comes back. And it does sound like, at least as of now, you know, he's progressing in a, in a, in a, in a good way, just maybe not as quickly as, as some had hoped. And um, it's unfortunate for Ohio State, but if you can get Seth Towns at some point in the season, um, one, it'll be important because I think that their three-point shooting is, is – um, going to take a little bit of a hit if, if he can't play but two like if you get him for the tournament and if you get him for the lead up to that tournament um that's that's what matters most at least in my opinion um and plus 
you know, you'll get him for at least one more year. Yeah, I'm not shocked by it, but it definitely definitely tempers my expectations for him a little bit because yeah, I mean it's like I say it's been a long time since he's played, and he's not even ready for the start of the season. Um, it definitely makes me temper my expectations for him because I just I just don't know what to expect from somebody. Yep. You know, should we expect him to get back to that Harvard form? I think that's potentially a little optimistic if he hasn't played in two plus years. Yeah. And I can just say this from like a perspective of talking to people around Ohio state back when they took him um, as a transfer, it's like they knew that he had a lot to go through. Um, But at the same time you take him knowing that like when he was a sophomore at Harvard, he was awesome. And the big 10 is different than the Ivy league. Sure. But you could see some of those games um, that he had at Harvard when he was player of the year as a sophomore, like that can translate to the big 10. So you take him knowing that, you know, there could be some health struggles, but if the, the payoff could be huge. Um, and I, I do think it was, it was a little disappointing for Ohio State fans to, to not, you know, get a healthy set down at the beginning of the year. But I do think that the most important thing is that when he gets back, he's not a shell of himself. Um, I think that, that that's really important. And at this point, like, the guy's wait two and a half years. Like, please don't rush it now. <laughs> like if he needs that extra time Absolutely. and he thinks that that extra time can help him get back to where he was at, at Harvard. And that's, that, that's what you do. At least in my opinion. All right. Second thing I'm going to talk about is, you know, I'm an NFL draft guy and I also know that it's very dangerous to put a lot of stock into just one game. But the reality is for Trey Lance, the quarterback at North Dakota state, that's all we have for him this year, most likely, because they're only playing one game this fall. So he most likely will not play in every college football game. And he's been talked about as a potential challenger to Justin Fields to be one of the top two quarterbacks in the draft. And just seeing his, I, I, watched, I did watch some of that game and just seeing his stat line from Saturday, he went 15 of 30 for 149 with two touchdowns and one interception. And he, he did, he did also have 15 carries for 143 yards and two touchdowns, but in an FCS game against Central Arkansas, I'm sorry, but he needed to pass a lot better than he did on Saturday to to give to to give any real weight in my mind to this idea that some people have that he could be a better draft prospect than Justin Fields. And I'm probably biased on that because I've seen every snap that Justin Fields played at Ohio State, and I I haven't watched a ton of Trey Lance, but. I know that this is going to conversation that's going to be coming up here in the spring with people deciding they like Trey Lance better than Justin Fields. And there's just no way I'm going to get on board with that because to see what Justin Fields has been able to do against the top competition in the country, I, I, I just really need to see Trey Lance. You get that one showcase game. He's got to be lighting it up in my mind if I'm going to put any stock into that conversation. You know, we had this conversation a long time ago, and I do remember being the guy who was like, there's no chance that I'm ever drafting an FCS quarterback over Justin Fields. I remember saying you something did. No, like that. you did. Um, because, listen, I've seen Justin Fields. Like, that that dude is going to be really good at the next level, and I know that Trey Lance is good. I'm just saying Justin Fields is, Justin Fields is special, even at a place where we've seen a lot of special dudes come through. Um, but um, – I think one, it was, it was actually, you know, 
it was impressive that Trey Lance is a, would agree to playing a one-off showcase game because, like, that's crazy. Like, you, he, he didn't have to do that. He could have right. sat out and walked into the draft as a top-10 pick because if you're a quarterback and people think you're good, you're probably going to go higher than even people <laughs> that even you're projected to. Uh, so I think that that's impressive. But, yeah, I mean, how can you come away from that game being like, well, I mean, he's clearly better Justin Fields. I certainly and, didn't think And that. don't get me wrong. I don't think – I don't think a one game is going to no, hurt no. his draft talk. I'm also not an expert on Trey Lance. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that just, I just can't, I just can't, I can't get on board with drafting an FCS quarterback over Justin Fields because of how good I believe Justin Fields is. Yeah. Do you know, like, do you, do you see Justin Fields? Like dude's a running back plays quarterback who runs a four, four as a cannon for an arm at a, what a 43 to what three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I see like, I, like I, I, I think I was reading Mel Kuyper on Tuesday and I saw like he had a line in there. It's like, I want to see Justin Fields get better of his decision making. And he had one interception in the first 13 games of last year. Like, I, I just don't know like how much better you were expecting to see from a first year starting quarterback. Yeah, I think that, I think that, I think both points are fair, actually. I, I think that it's weird to hear the decision-making thing. But the one area that I would like to see Justin Fields, like one thing I think we're probably going to see Justin Fields do is like, I remember saying often last fall, like they're making it pretty easy on Justin Fields. Like they're calling awesome games. Justin Fields has a lot of open receivers down the field. I do think at, at some point he's probably going to have to make some quick, quicker decisions, um, fit the ball into tighter windows at some point. But like also it requires a quarterback who can, make those decisions look easy and he made pretty much everything look easy. I don't know. I don't know. We don't need to dive into the no. Justin Fields, Trey Lance discussion. Yet, we have plenty but, of time for that in the spring. <laughs> yes. But I also feel pretty confident that Justin Fields is going to be a awesome quarterback and I would take him over any FCS quarterback. Apologies to Carson Wentz. All right. Moving on. My last thing. Um, I, I wasn't hundred percent sure where I was going to go with this, but I guess I'll talk about Dwayne Washington, um, who I think, you know, it's so funny. It's like, these are the classic offseason interviews where it's Dwayne Washington talking about how he feels like he's turned the corner, um, feels like he understands like decision-making better. You know, he, he named, you know, a number of NBA players who are sort of that combo guard scoring combo guards, like a Kemba Walker, Steph Curry, CJ McCollum, um, who I think are reasonable comparisons if you're looking at just like what type of role he at, he has at Ohio State and like his size. Like I think those are reasonable comparisons, even if obviously he's not nearly at their level yet. But you know, just talking to him, it is evident as ever that Dwayne Washington is going to be a gigantic piece of this team for better or worse. Um, and I say for better or worse because some games last year, whenever like. There, there were definitely moments where it felt like for worse. Like there were definitely moments where I was like, Dwayne needs to chill or else they're in trouble. Uh, or you're like, Dwayne needs to lock his lockdown defensively and not have four brain farts and a half. Um, those were, there were definitely moments that last year. And I think that they have to rely on him this year. Um, Ludwin Muhammad's obviously gone. I think that the, the interesting thing, the interesting thing here is, you know, if winter athletes get an extra year of eligibility and they have applied for a, for an immediate eligibility waiver for Jimmy Sotos, who's a transfer from Bucknell who was planning to sit out. If that's approved, then I, and I do think that there's a little bit less pressure on Dwayne, but right now I think there's a lot of pressure on Dwayne to one 
actually turn the corner and not just say you turn the corner. Um, and I think, I don't know, I sort of came out of it thinking I could absolutely see, see Dwayne leading them in scoring, um, which is, I, I, I have yet to understand, I've yet to really figure out what I feel about that <laughs> because I think Dwayne's a really good scorer sometimes. And at the same time, if Dwayne is your number one scorer and he hasn't really taken a steep jump, um, I, I don't know. I don't know where I am on that, Dan. Dan, talk me through this. What do you think about that? I don't really know what I think about that, to be completely honest with you. But yeah, I mean, I feel like Dwayne's one of those guys that it's like you know he's talented, but I also know that there's times that he just absolutely drives Chris Altman nuts. Um, yeah, like he got, <laughs> he got benched in January, like in the middle of the season uh, against Indiana. I still remember that. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a good player, but I think you're right. I think he has to take that next step because I think we talked a little bit before, like after some of the roster moves, but like this is a team that looks like it's got a pretty solid core, but this is also a team that doesn't have a star. There's there's just not a star player on this team. So I think a guy like Dwayne, I mean, I don't think Dwayne's going to be a star, but I think Dwayne has to take that next step. He has to become a premier scorer. He does. And he, he gotta, he's got to be able to consistently be – that 15, 20 point guy, you know, cause we see him do it sometimes, but he's gotta be, he's gotta get to where he can do that on an every night basis. I yeah. think if he can't do that, I don't really know how many other guys they have. You know, maybe it's just a suing, maybe an EJ Liddell, but I just don't see a lot of guys on this team that can consistently be those double digit guys every single game. So I think Dwayne is absolutely right near the top of that list of a guy that you need to do that this year. Yeah, I felt like I was having the Dwayne Washington conversation that I've had for the last two years, which is like, Dwayne, are you are you listening to the coaches yet? Are you uh, do you feel like you're getting more consistent with your effort, be making better decisions? And you know, his answers are all good, but we've got to actually see it because I do think that he's, I, I would say he's arguably the most important player on this team, um, and I think that that's, I think there's, I think there's quite a few players who actually could fit on that mold. Like you can make a case for Kyle Young. You can make a case for C.J. Walker being the starting point guard. You can easily make a case for Justice Suing and easily make a case for E.J. Liddell. I think that there's a lot of important guys. But the fact that Dwayne um, is going to basically – I think he's going to be the most important scorer on this on this team um, among guys who, who can create their own shots. Because um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, this, this is the most confusing group of talent that I'll have covered yet at Ohio State because – we haven't seen basically any of these dudes play together who are important. Um, we saw CJ and Dwayne play together obviously last year, but not until late in the season did we add, did, did we see EJ, EJ Liddell added to the mix. Um, Musa Jallo was injured last year, so we didn't get to see him running with people like uh, like EJ and um, and CJ Walker. Um, we haven't seen Justin Justin Arns have a big role. I, I I could just run up and down this roster. I think he's a fascinating group group of guys. I just don't know what to expect in totality. And, and I don't know. I think Chris Holtman's got a tough job this year, but I think that the, the extended offseason probably has helped them actually figure out what they have and what they might actually do when they get to the court because they've had no shortage of time to brainstorm. All right. Last thing for me is I think it's crazy that the Big Ten is still over two weeks away from playing games. And the Big 12 – it's pretty close to being eliminated from the playoff in my opinion, because they've only got one undefeated team left in Oklahoma state. 
their team that looked like their top playoff contender, Oklahoma, has lost two straight games. So they're now completely out. And you just look at that conference, I just don't see a team in there that I, I can see, you know, really going undefeated the rest of the season and making a playoff run. I just, I just don't see it. I don't think there's a team that stands out in that conference. And I think uh, they're probably going to eat each other alive. And I think, I think they're probably not going to be a factor in the playoff conversation. And that's crazy when you have two of the power five conferences that haven't even played yet. Well, you mean, I assume you mean other than West Virginia, right? Sure. Out of the playoff conversation, yeah, sure, because they're still in the playoff conversation, and they okay. only had one loss. There's, there are going to be one loss teams who make the playoff. Um, okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, this this <laughs> conference is trash, and it's an embarrassment, and there's no chance any of these teams make the playoff. I don't want to say there's no chance, but like I can't see this. It's I just pretty, don't, I just it's don't pretty see slim. I would, I would bet on them. Big 12 not having a team. Just like, well, okay, and, and if you don't want to just play the record game, like who even looks like a playoff team? Like none of them. <laughs> like none of these guys, none of these teams actually look like a playoff team. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, basically the Big 12 has already been eliminated. So congratulations. Um, I guess we'll – it's unfortunate that West Virginia lost already because otherwise I'd just be hyping them up as the next uh, Big 12 title contender. I know you would, Colin. I know you yeah. would. Thank you. As I think those are in, our three things. Yeah, as we go into our questions, I think that's actually – uh, I know one of our questions actually is a nice segue from that. So we'll hit that one first. And that's from Silver Sniper. And he asked, how much of a hindrance will playing fewer games than the rest of the Big Ten and Pac-12 have when trying to make a case for the playoff? Is it pretty much an impossibility that two teams from the Big Ten and Pac-12 represent? And I think, you know, my first, my first reaction to that question is the fact that I think my answer to that now is different than it was two weeks ago. Because I think when you see, okay, the big 12's out of it now, like you start to see teams lose and, and you start to go, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily hurts them because, it, you know, I think it, I think it absolutely is going to hurt in terms of comparing resumes at the end of the season, but it's also less chances to lose. So by having less games, you increase the likelihood that you're going to have an undefeated team. You increase the likelihood that you could have multiple one-loss teams at the end of a season. And so do I think two Big Ten or two Pac-12 teams are going to make the playoff? No, I don't. I, I think that's unlikely. And, but I'm not, I don't know that I could say impossibility right now because, you know, I, I think of like an Ohio State and a Penn State where if, the season ends and the only loss between those two teams is one of them against each other. Could they both make the playoffs? Yeah, I think that's possible. Am I, am I predicting that's going to happen? No, but I, I think there are scenarios where it could happen. I think it's probably only a scenario like that. I mean, I definitely, you're not, you're not losing two games from one of those conferences and making the playoffs. There's no question about that, but I think there might be some unlikely scenarios where if you had a you know an undefeated one loss type deal, and there's a there's an unlikely chance. I mean it's it's pro it might be an impossibility for the Pac-12 because they're playing a really short schedule. Big Ten, like I think there's a a really long shot possibility. You know it, it's single digit percent, but I, I don't call it an impossibility. Yeah, 
I, I'm in a similar boat where, you know, a few weeks ago I would have said, you know, I think you have to go undefeated if you're in the Big Ten or the Pac-12. But, you know, the more and more we get into this, it, it does feel apparent to me that as long as you're going to play the eight games, like I think multiple teams can get in, and I really do. Um, I think it's probably easier in the to, for me to believe that happening in the Big Ten than the Pac-12, just because I think the Big Ten is better than the Pac-12. Um, and – I think I think the Big Twelve eliminating itself already just sort of opens up a spot to me. Um, and how many times in recent years as a as a Big Ten team, you know, finished fifth right before uh, in in the final college football playoff committee's rankings? Like that has absolutely happened um, in, in recent memory. Um, and that fifth would be a fourth that the Big Twelve is not going to be there. Um, so yeah, I, I I actually don't think that the, that the fewer games are going to play as big of a role. But also, I mean, this is the hard thing. Like, we can have our opinions on that, but the only people that matter when it comes to that is the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, and we won't know what they're going to think for well over a month. Um, so so as many opinions as we want to talk about, right? as many opinions as we want to have right now, they actually don't matter. And also, we can't base what the, what the College Football Playoff Committee would do off of anything. This has never happened before. So this is complete baseless speculation, and this is why this season is absurd because none of this makes any sense. And we can't – like, we guess about a lot of things. We This entire podcast over the offseason speculation, we can't even really speculate about this. That's what makes it fun, though, right? Uh, yeah, until, until Ohio State starts playing, and then it'll just be aggravating. <laughs> <laughs> We've 77 asked a really long question about eligibility, so I, I tried to pare down the relevant parts. It was – should we anticipate Ohio State being more picky slash stingy with scholarship offers for some of the lower-rated project players on their recruiting board over the next few recruiting cycles because of the uh, extra year for guys who could be getting the fifth or sixth year now? And beyond that, are there any other ways that you predict the extra year of eligibility will impact the Buckeye roster and or recruiting strategy over the next several years, i.e. less red shirts, more transfers? First of all, I'll, I'll point back to what Ryan Day said on Friday when he was asked about this, where he's, he sounded pretty confident that he, he thought Ohio State was going to be right around 85 anyway, that they weren't going to have a lot of extra guys. And I believe him for the most part because I, I think the reality at Ohio State is the guys who are coming to Ohio State, they basically all have NFL aspirations. And so – I don't know how many guys coming to Ohio state really want to stay for that fifth or sixth year. If they don't have to, you know, I mean, I think there will be some guys that take advantage of it, but you know, I, I think, I think there's going to be other schools that, you know, where a majority of guys do, I don't know if that's going to be the case at Ohio state. You know, it does also, it also kind of gives me the vibe that, Ryan Day might politely request that certain players don't take that extra year. Um, I don't really know how else to put that, but you know, I, I, I think there might be certain guys that Ohio state would prefer uh, just, just sticks with their normal eligibility and moves on because um, you know, there, there might have to be some tough conversations down the line there. If, if, too many guys want to stay for that extra year, but you know, the, the way that he said it, 
makes me think they are not looking to significantly alter their recruiting strategy because of this, because they ultimately believe the numbers are going to work themselves out to where they're going to need relatively normal sized recruiting classes anyway. Yeah, it's, I think that this is one of the most difficult to, to figure out questions yet. And I think that like, it's sort of just going to have to play out for us to figure out exactly what it's going to, how it's going to, to operate. But you're right in that Ryan Day didn't seem concerned at all. He really didn't. I think that he's perfectly fine with how this is going to play out. And I think when you're walking into this where nobody really knows um, how it's going to go, I think when, if, if you're, if the team that you're a fan of as a head coach is pretty confident that he's got a plan going forward and he's had no problems recruiting or, or with roster management at all, basically, since he took over, I just don't think that this is much of a concern. I think that – I also think, like you said, I think there's going to be some more of those quote-unquote tough conversations in the next few years um, with certain players who, who move on and transfer. And I, and I think that a lot of it's just going to be because – I think it's going to be mutually beneficial. I mean, one, like, oh, I was just stay under the limit, but also like if you're going to have certain guys staying around, that means that you might be buried on the depth chart for an extra year and you might just want to move on. Um, and I think that that's totally understandable. Um, and I just, I think that maybe we might see a slight uptick in that. But I think Ryan Day's lack of concern, like it makes me feel like they're not going to have many issues with this. Yeah. And to answer the last part of a question, like, less retrofit, my biggest question is I don't even know like what we're going to call guys, like guys that now take a double <laughs> red shirt year. Like I don't even know like how, what our yeah. whole like premise of like, I think we're just going to have to call guys fourth year, Six fifth year, yeah. like, red shirt because red shirts is going to be almost meaningless here. I think for a few years for these guys that are getting this extra year this year, but in terms of transfers, I mean, there was news on Tuesday that the NCAA is probably going to go forward with legislation next week allowing the one-time transfer exception. So I think regardless of the roster size limits, I think there's going to be more transfers period, because if you allow guys to transfer immediately and play anywhere without getting a waiver, there's just going to be more transfers period. So uh, I think that probably plays into Ryan Day's answer too, but he recognizes there's only going to, you know, there's going to be certain guys that are going to see the writing on the wall. And if they can go transfer and play somewhere else immediately next year, they're probably going to do it which is good for college football. Like, I, I, don't, I don't see that as being a bad thing. Um, right. I think that that allows players the opportunity to find, um, to find other playing time elsewhere in better situations, and it doesn't harm the colleges. So I see this as a win-win. Uh, next question from Silver Sniper. Is it really just the difference in offensive philosophy as to blame for why Jalen Gill and Demario McCall did not slash have not flourished in Ohio State's offensive system. It seems like that's a cop-out for why these coveted top 50 guys have not been able to make a mark. Yeah, I mean, I think both. I think it's both points. I mean, I, I agree that it is a cop-out. I mean, I agree that it is a cop-out, but I think if you have guys that are really talented, that you find a way to get them on the field and, and make their mark in the offense. You know, I, I do think – for both of those guys, part of a reason why it didn't or hasn't come to pass in Demario's case, but I, I do think part of it is because they're just not using as much of the H back as they did, uh, you know, back in the earlier years of Urban's tenure. And I do think that's part of it, you know, and I and I also think part of it is just, you know, not every highly touted recruit pans out. 
And I think that really might be part of it with these guys. And it, I, I don't, you know, I don't mean that to insult them or anything, but I, I just think it in, in both these cases, it might partially be the fact that these guys just didn't quite turn out to be the players they thought, you know, they were Ohio state thought they were going to be. Cause I think if either of them was on the verge of being Curtis Samuel, if he was just used the right way, I think Ohio state would have figured it out. I, I think part of it with both of these guys really might be that they just didn't, they just didn't quite develop the way Ohio state thought they were going to develop. And so I think it's a combination of things. Um, I gotta yeah. be, I got, I gotta be, I gotta be honest. Like if this offense is as good as we think it could be this year, I don't really think there's going to be a whole lot of use hand wringing over Jalen Gill and Demario McCall, because I think if this offense is as good as it has the potential to be this year, I, I don't know that a Jalen Gill is going to be missed. Yeah, and you also, you know, those guys were recruited to fill certain positions. And when those positions aren't really what Ohio State is doing anymore, then all of a sudden you want to develop them to fill different positions. And sometimes it's just hard to, for that to happen. Like, I, I think that Jalen Gill would fit perfectly as an, as an Urban Meyer H-back. They don't have that position anymore. Um, and I don't know, Demario McCall, he couldn't find a position. I think Ohio State couldn't find him a position. I think that's a two-way street. Um, so I think that it's complicated. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a cop-out to, to talk about the offensive system. I think that that's a real thing. Like, that cop-out to me sounds like we're just making an excuse. And I don't think that that's making an excuse. Like, I, I do think that if there is, you know, the old Urban Meyer H-back, and if, and if the offense is being run the way it was um, for the majority of the time or under Urban Meyer, I think that Jalen Gill would have found a role. And I think that DeMario McCall might have found a role. I don't know. His career is just it, – it's hard to figure that one out. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's a cop-out. And I don't really know if there's, like, one single answer. I think if you're looking for one answer on those guys, you're probably not going to find it. I mean, the reality is every recruit is not going to pan out. It, it's, just, it's just the way it goes. And, you know, I, I think as good as Ohio State is situated right now on offense – you know, I think, you know, I think if, if, if this current crop of freshmen is as good as we think they can be, I don't know what it's going to matter. Next question, which I didn't see until now, which is unfortunate because I wish I would have actually thought about this. Uh, from Ziploc007, noon kickoffs are 9 a.m. here in Los Angeles. Where's the best breakfast with a Buckeyes food idea? Well, I, I didn't like that because I was just going to pass this to you because I think you're more oh. of a- I yeah. think you're more of a breakfast guy than I am because like, I'm just like not a morning person. And most of the time, my first meal of the day is lunch. Um, I like breakfast food, but I just don't eat it that much. So I don't really know that I have a great answer. Like, can I go like something, if you're going to do breakfast foods, like, can we do, like, if we're going to go crazy, like if you're going to try and make something Buckeye themed, like, could you go with something like, uh, pancakes with peanut butter and chocolate chips. I don't know. Like that's that doesn't sound bad to me. I would sounds, accept that if you want to give sounds, that. To that me. sounds like dessert, not breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> it did, but I was trying to think of something that had like that kind of Buckeye flavor, uh, which is, by the way, maybe my favorite ice cream. Um, so if you want to have ice cream, then just go out and just grab the Buckeye ice cream. This is my favorite ice cream out there. Um, but otherwise, um, 
I wish I had seen that earlier. So I might have thought of something a little bit more creative than that. I don't know. I'll think about that. And if I if something appears in my mind over the next week, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna you know, it. I don't know if you can even go if you you know eggs and bacon and breakfast staples. I don't know if you can really go wrong with that either. Yeah, I mean, if you just want to do the normal breakfast food, I mean, you can't. No one's ever gonna complain about that. Gin and Juice asked us, "What is your favorite of Walt's game week posters? Top three is acceptable." And I thought about this I, a little when I saw it, so I'll go first. While all you're right, thinking. you go first. As and not as I'm thinking, I'm just scrolling through them because I'm reminding myself of, of something. Yeah, I was looking through last night to think because like there's so many good ones. Yeah, um, but I, I I think a few a few of them I really liked. I really liked the one a few years ago, UNLV, that was hangover themed with. Uh, I don't remember his name. Zach Galifianakis' character and the baby with both the Brutus head. I really liked that one. Yeah. Um, I know for one of the Minnesota games, or I think there was a Prince-themed one. I really liked that one. Last year with Cincinnati, there was the Hell is Real one. That one I really liked. Uh, with the Hell is Real sign that some of you probably know about. And uh, I think Maryland a few years ago, too, he did like a Mario-themed one with the Brutus head. I like, I like that one, too, like stepping on a, a turtle shell. Yeah, there are some good, there are some really good Maryland ones. Um, and it's also, it's, it's, <laughs> I think it's tough for him because it's like how many times he's put a turtle in a poster. Like how many, how many of those can you do? But the duck and cover one from, from last year, I thought was solid. I did like, I liked the, the Michigan State one from last year when he's snapping the highlighter. I've, I thought that was yeah. one of my all time favorites, um, especially cool. in recent memory. Um, but the other one where he's, you know, kicking the Spartan, um, I, I like that one. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Like, you just scroll through and it's like, oh, yeah, that one's really good. That one's really good. I don't know. I, I enjoy that. Walt is, Walt is special. I'm just glad we get – I'm just glad we actually get to see a new one in two weeks. Yeah, we haven't and, – and we always get the sneak preview a little bit before, but we have not seen uh, this one yet. Well, we will. We will soon, fortunately. Yes. Uh, we will soon. Final question from Bia is – if you could play any position at Ohio State and actually be good at it, let's say top five draft pick good, which means we've now gone we've now gone way into the realm of not realistic well, for, here. For but, you, Dan. I mean, this is this is right. Okay, Colin. Okay, okay. Then you get to start. Then, Colin, <laughs> which which one would you pick? All right. So you know, I'm not gonna pick. Like, I'm not going to pick quarterback because at Ohio State, I've been around long enough to know that if you're a quarterback at Ohio State, even if you're really good, you're just going to get picked apart. So I'm not going to do quarterback unless you're Justin Fields and only throw three interceptions one year. Um, I I think just based on the guys who've come through, like, can I be Chase Young? Like, that sounds like the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> oh, you, <laughs> cannot, Chase Young. you cannot be Chase Young. Okay. I, hate I can't. I, I, are, yeah, if Chase not. Young was six feet tall, I'm Chase Young. <laughs> but it seems unlikely that a six foot tall Chase Young's coming through. But that would be my choice because, one, like, if you look like Chase Young, like that, you just look like you just, like, eat, eat human beings. Um, and also, like, if you're a defensive end and you're really good, like, you just dominate games. And, you know, you can be in the Heisman discussion like Chase Young was if you're really good. And, hey, if we're playing this fantasy game, if you're top five pit good, you're Chase Young level. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I want to be the quarterback. Like, you, you, it's the hardest position, but I'd want to be the quarterback. not going to lie. But if, I mean, I, it's, it's not realistic for me to be a top five pick at any of these positions. So, I mean, if like, I know this. Like, if I have a son – 
I'm going to encourage him to learn how to kick punter long snap because he's not going to have, <laughs> he's not going to have the genes to play at Ohio state at any other position. So I'm going to encourage him to, to become a specialist because I think that will be his best chance of playing college football. But uh, if I could just choose any position, I, I, I would pick quarterback. That's fair. And I'll say this, like, be top five good at Ohio State. Like, when was the last time Ohio State had a top five quarterback? So if you're a top five quarterback, you're probably like Justin Fields, and nobody's critiquing Justin Fields. So I guess I was more stuck on remembering the – I would not want to – you know, it sounds great to have had JT Barrett's career, but to deal with all the criticism that he had, like, that would have sucked. That would have been terrible. I already know your answer, but I'm just going to ask you again just for fun. There's the real question. Would you go on a vegan diet to be Justin Fields? Uh, you actually did ask me that in Slack and I said no, but I was joking. Yeah. I mean, if I could just be Justin Fields, if I just went vegan, like, yeah, I'll go vegan. I'll be Justin Fields. I'll go be, I'll go be a, a top five NFL draft pick millionaire. Um, yeah, I'll do, I'll do the vegan diet for that. I was hoping you'd stick to your gun so that we could disagree on it. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I would be a terrible vegan, but if, if, if being a vegan could, could allow me to become a Heisman trophy caliber quarterback, I would do it not going to happen so i'm not going to become a vegan but if if that was something if that correlation was actually possible i would do it you know what's another great position like i would just like if you're top five good that means you're like first team all-american good like being a first team all-american top five pick like guard like make me quentin nelson like i like just just pounding dudes that sounds like yeah, I feel awesome. like that's your awesome real answer. Job. Like, I feel like that's your real answer. Yeah, but that's cheating because, in- like, yeah, when I was in high school, I actually did play guard. So I don't I, – I went straight back there. Yeah, no, I feel like that's, like, your real answer, just being a really good guard. Yeah. God, that is the least sexy answer in the world. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be really fun to be a corner. Like, just to be, like, such a good corner. You're just talking trash for receivers all the time. Like, that would be a lot of fun. But, I, I actually think that would be terrible. But it's extremely difficult. It, it is, and I feel like I wouldn't have the short memory needed at cornerback. Like, I feel like I would just be thinking about a play. I, I, I quite literally couldn't imagine myself as a top five quarterback. I think that's my <laughs> I concern. Never. Like, I literally couldn't even possibly imagine that. At least I played guard. I played defensive line before. Like, these are positions where, like, yeah, of course I'm not actually that good at them. Otherwise, I would be being podcasted about rather than doing the podcasting. But, um, but I can I can envision what someone at that level is actually doing. I literally couldn't even imagine being Jeff Okuda. Like that's um, that just that feels absurd to me. Like the kind of movements he makes and and what he's asked to do on a, on a play to play basis. Well, his, his his last question is: What period would you insert yourself into? And like, are you kidding? me like right now <laughs> yeah, oh yeah like if i'm like if like i'm playing right now i'm not playing. i mean are you gonna go back to the 60s and be a top five pick who gets paid twenty thousand dollars or are you gonna be a top five pick now who makes 30 million dollars i'll take yeah, and you know and you know million. what dan if you're gonna if you're gonna play quarterback you know what you're not gonna do go back to an era where you could get absolutely just your head right. knocked off like play right now where if they touch you it's a 15 yard penalty yeah yeah i mean i'm, I'm getting the patrick mahomes calls here Dan Mahomes rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> we'll see what Zach thinks about that one. Yes, Zach, yes, we're resident well. Chiefs fan. All right, yeah. I think I think that's probably a good note to uh, end up this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays on. So, 
thanks again for listening in. Just a couple more weeks until we get to game week. We're, we're getting there. So we'll talk to you again next week.